and welcome to another episode of Brosephus and Friends. I'm your host, Brosephus, and today, today I'm so excited to have someone who I have not met, but I've seen on the TV, um, and uh, we have Andrew Gear today. Andrew, it's good to have you today. Thank you so much. It's my uh, complete honor and pleasure to be here today. You know, um, and it's interesting. Um, I was, I've been watching, uh, for those who don't know who Andrew Greer is, he, um, you wear many hats, <laughs> um, and, and you have, talk a little about, uh, what, what's been going on in the last few years, uh, yeah. with start, you know, well, whatever you want to start. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you say wear many hats, I feel like I juggle many pins or something. I don't know. Uh, it feels like a juggle more than a, in, than a um, fashion show or anything uh, well displayed. But, uh, you know, music, uh, like for you, music is where my heartbeat really began as a child and grew up playing piano. My mother is a is an organist and she had taught, I have two older brothers and we grew up in Texas in a pretty rural portion of Texas, west of Fort Worth. And she started all of us on piano lessons, kind of those obligatory piano lessons at age seven or second grade, something like that, because we could be more independent in our study of the piano. And my brothers are both musical, but they kind of ended up taking other paths, even in their musical journeys and then definitely in their professional journeys. And I just couldn't stop playing the piano. I mean, I could. I remember my dad, uh, who was very encouraging of all, but at times being like, all right, you can stop practicing now, <laughs> just because the piano was in the center of our house, you know, and I'm sure there was some need for a little peace and quiet. Uh, but they encouraged it by the droves. And I fell in love with live music and concerts. And often I loved all kinds of music, not just what was popular when I was growing up in the 90s, but all kinds of music. And my parents would often go with me to concerts in Fort Worth and Dallas, which was a little bit of a drive because my friends didn't always necessarily want to go to some of, you know, the more popular concerts we would go to, they wanted to go to, but I loved everything from classical to black gospel, to folk music, mm -hmm. to, to uh, different artists and Christian music. And when that didn't align with my friends taste, and so we didn't go as a group, my parents would go with me and music just really ignited, you know, uh, a fire, I guess it really was my first connection to God. It was an open line. I felt like when I didn't know how to pray or I didn't understand everything theologically or didn't really get interested in reading the Bible every day or whatever it was that I felt might be a tension in my relationship with God, music was an ease. Music was a language. Music was a conversation. And really, my dad just reminded me of this recently, and now I'm 37. So this is 20 plus years later from when we were going to all those concerts together. Because now I, you know, like you, I interview a lot of people um, on the show. I co-host with Mark Lowry, Dinner Conversations, and a new podcast I do with Patsy Claremont called Bridges. And it's just become a large part of my uh, professional life and my career, which I love. But I was talking with my dad one day when we were visiting about how did I get from music, which I still get to do music. I still put out a new record here and there and and am thrilled that people still want to actually listen to those. But I said, how did I get to spending so much of my time kind of in the host chair and, and hosting conversations? And he was like, it's no surprise to me because he said, he reminded me that when we used to go to those concerts, 
he and my mom would just find a place after the concert, maybe in the lobby of the theater or wherever we were or in the concourse of the arena just to hang out while I would eventually find my way backstage. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't really always come back with necessarily an autograph or a photo sometimes, but uh, what he said I would come back with is a conversation. I would have asked questions about everything mm. from music to their lives to just like the music was an entry point into a conversation for me and always has been. So now fast forward to 2020 and the fact that I would be hosting a podcast every week with Patsy Claremont and then I would have a TV show on Prime with Mark that, you know, its fourth season is about to come out and us have had all these guests and all these conversations that we hope are much more meaningful than what's your new record, what's your new single, mm. you know, but really dives into what does it, what does racism look like in the church and what is it like to blend a family and what, what is it like recovering from an addiction or being in the middle of an addiction, things that are everyday things, but as a church culture, I don't want to say as the church, because I believe the church has and will always address humanity and have space for human beings because that is the kingdom of God. But the church culture we live in, especially in Western world America, just really for whatever reason doesn't have, is not a great um, safe kind of landing pad for those conversations. And so we wanted to be a landing pad, but anyway, yes, music was my first heartbeat, but it has transpired into what we're doing right now, you know, which is conversing. And who knew um, four years ago when you started Dinner mm -hmm. Conversation that today that the relevance of some of them, some of the conversations that you have um, are relevant today in this in this climate that we're in. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we, we hoped to produce something evergreen uh, from the very beginning, something that if someone found it in 2025, but it was aired in 2017, that they would still find it uh, an entry point that wasn't outdated. And so I think these topics are always relevant topics like um, divorce and in the church and blended families and addiction and racism. And all these things are not any, there's nothing new about these conversations, but you're right. We find ourselves seasonally, just depending what season we find ourselves in and what current events are happening in the world. We find ourselves with some of these conversations rising to the top for a while. And of course, in 2020, uh, the conversation around race has become one of the prominent conversations of the year. And I think will continue for a while and has become one of the more heated uh, conversations. And, you know, that kind of takes me into our setup on dinner conversations, right? People, I remember one of the TV syndicates that airs us, one of the producers there was like, I love y'all show. He's like, I hate it that y'all eat on camera. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, we get that. But, you know, that was part of it, you know, is that Joseph, part of it was that we gather around a table that we commune around food because there's a safe space there. There's a sanctuary uh, within mealtime. When I sit down across from you, we could vehemently disagree about something. We could be on the polar opposite sides of a conversation, of a political debate, of anything. But when we sit down at the table and, and I can see you across from me and we partake of the same bread and the same cup, then it's almost impossible unless I'm harboring some kind of deep resentment and hatred in my heart for you, it is almost impossible for those conversations of topics uh, 
to not be either manageable in conversation or to dissipate into conversations that are much deeper, much more meaningful and much more eternal. Not that conversations like divorce and racism don't play into eternal conversations. They do, they have implications. Uh, you know, our hearts implicate these conversations. If our hearts are not aligned with the truth of God, which is everyone is created equal, then we're going to have prejudice, we're going to have bias, and we're going to have to work through that. If our hearts are not aligned uh, with God in certain areas of our life, that may perpetuate a discord in a relationship and to the point where it's broken and there's a divorce. So, but, but the conversation can be more generous around it. It can be more gracious. It can be more merciful. And in my, you know, my opinion, it can reflect more of the conversation God is having with us, with us, which is very loving. And in love, sometimes we are self-confronted, right? Sometimes when someone loves me really well, the things that I do that I hate that I do tend to be easier to not do, you know, because I'm, <laughs> because I'm safe and I'm secure and I'm foundationed in love and unconditional love, which I think is reflective of God. Yes. And, and you, and you let your guard down around the table. I think, you know, when you, you are, you're more li likely to share something um, and, and not, be all defensive if it's like if I'm uh, if we're just sitting down we're more likely but at a table you know there's is more likely to just have a conversation uh, like you were saying absolutely you know one example of that in dinner conversations is we had um, one of our guests on season three was Winona Judd now Mark has known Winona for years I just first met her and her husband Cactus who were on the show and Winona is a blast but we wanted to talk about some heavier things. And I remember beforehand, you know, Winona had said, I'm happy to talk um, about my family and about my history, but I've made a habit of not my relationship with my mother, which is very tender, of not talking like I, I, she didn't want Mark and me to ask questions about her mother. Uh, she could talk mm. about her relationship with her mother, but even that was kind of off topic. And we said, yeah, that's fine. So we began talking about what she wanted to talk about was recovering from perfectionism, which is not like some kind of formal, you know, psychological disorder or whatever, but it's something in yeah. a, in a culture who's obsessed with social media and how we present ourselves at a heightened mm -hmm. level than we have before perfectionism and that achievement uh, strain and someone can really, really drive them you know, to some kind of crazy places. And so she was talking about that recovering from perfectionism. And guess what? Because we're sitting around a table, around mm -hmm. food, talking in a safe place, what comes up? Her mother and her relationship oh. with her mother, the tenderness of that, the strangeness of that, the awkwardness of that. And how many daughters out there or daughter-in-laws or whoever can relate to, you know, both tenderness and love and strangeness and awkwardness in the relationship with her. So we got to go to a place that she could speak to very personally about that can relate to thousands of people uh, on a very core level. So that's what mealtime does. That's what food does. That's what safe spaces does. And that's what open-mindedness and heartedness can do. Now I noticed on dinner conversations um, and well, and on features on film, you ask deep questions, mm. deep. Did you have 
um, how did you get that for, you know, for having, uh, asking deep questions? Mm. Well, I think, you know, and you may understand this with your journey into pastoral care, but I think my dad is a pastoral counselor. So he was a marriage and family counselor that, you know, worked from a spiritual worldview as far as what was healthiest uh, or how I understand it in his uh, advice to others that they were dealing with very earthy, real things. And, and he was working, his practice was in the rural area we grew up in. And really there wasn't a lot of resources at that time for marriage and family and mental and emotional health for miles and miles and miles. So that was the purpose of, uh, I think he had a strong desire to be in a place where he could be, he and his practice of counselors could be a real resource for people who either weren't aware of the benefits of counseling or maybe who didn't feel they had the income because it was a nonprofit that worked on a, a sliding scale. So I would guess that my dad was my first introduction into both into engaging in a conversation, which is what both talking and listening uh, my dad is a great talker. Like me, he loves to talk, um, but he's a really profound listener, which a counselor, a good counselor will be. Um, in fact, you know, one of the things I always remember and I've talked about many times is as kids growing up, we'd go to church together with my parents. Most of the time I ended up in my teen years playing for a bunch of churches. And so I didn't always go to the same church as my parents, but we'd always reconvene at home after our respective church services and gather around the table and eat, you know, eat lunch. And he generally would ask us something about our church experience that morning, whether it be if we went to a Sunday school class, what, you know, what, what was the topic, or if we were all in the same church service, we might talk about the sermon and he would address it. And I mean, he would say, you know, my, maybe he would start just with what, as we were younger, what was the sermon about to kind of hear our perspective, what we gleaned from it. And then he would say, well, he would always follow up in some regard with what did you think about that? Even mm. when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old and just starting to to be in big church, you know, and listen to sermon. And I think honestly, asking simple questions like that, people, you know, you're not the mm. first person to comment about me asking deep questions. And, and while I think that's, True, there's merit there. I think it's more that I'm willing to ask one, some hard questions, and two, I'm I'm willing to listen so that I can ask questions based on where the subject, the the person I'm interviewing is already going. They're leading a good conversation, so a good host, a good facilitator of conversation. Your subject is leading you into places unless they're totally closed off to talking, which can happen occasionally. They're gonna lead you into new places. They're gonna say things that take us totally off script, but things that I never thought we were, or I didn't even know. I could have never known through research on Google, you know? And so if I'm yeah. listening well, then I'm going to find myself with a plethora of new questions to ask in a way that we could go on for hours, much less 20 minutes. So I think deep questioning is really sometimes what we're saying is sincere questioning, which comes from listening. Mm -hmm. If we listen to what someone is saying, they are presenting new questions for us if we're in the role to, to ask questions. Or sometimes I think the host interviewer like you and myself is in a place to also relate to what they said to help further relate it to the audience and then move into more questioning. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, that was good. Um, but 
you were saying, you know, don't put me in the category of a host, you know, because you you are uh, I'm I'm just someone doing this, but you do this so well, and I'm just I'm. But anyway, well, you're doing well um, so far. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but you talked about music mm-hmm. going back. What was um what was one or two or maybe that the albums that you saw and you thought, ooh, this is good, and that yeah, or what yeah. you saw uh-huh. that you thought, that goodness, you know, it, it's it was kind of an evolution of music, even from childhood to uh, by the time I graduated high school and left home, it started honestly. Uh, Classical music is some of the first music I remember because I would be in the car with my mom a lot. My brothers are a little older and sometimes they'd be with us. My oldest brother was driving, you know, by the time I was young. So my mom loved listening to like uh, NPR because of their classical music or public radio because they're classical music. So that's some of the first stuff I remember. And I enjoyed that. I still enjoy classical music today, but I enjoy listening to it with her. But the first like rec, well, tape, it was a cassette tape that really kind of threw me that was kind of like, oh, I mean, I was four. I, I remember I was four and it was an old tape at the time. I, I was four in the late 80s. And this was a, a tape from maybe the year I was born in the early 80s. And um, it was a Sandy Patty cassette tape called Lift Up the Lord. And it was uh-huh. my mom had just had it in the car along with maybe an Amy, Amy Grant tape. And then she listened to like the Carpenters and other things. She didn't listen to all or a lot of Christian music, but she did have a Sandy Patty tape and an Amy Grant tape. And that Sandy Patty tape, something about the maybe it's because I've been listening to classical music with my mom, but the orchestrations of it, the, the arrangements mm-hmm. of it, really kind of the dramatic prose of Sandy's ability to, to communicate a song with with so much feeling and passion and emotion. It just hooked me. Well, my mom then realized it was kind of my first artist getting hooked on an artist. And and what had come out that year was The Friendship Company, which was a cassette tape Sandy had done for kids and CD. Anyway, so that was kind of my first foray. And then I really grew to love black gospel music. And so and that was through the introduction of B.B. and C.C. Winans, who were really big in the 90s Mm. and then further into some more uh, more even deeper black gospel. But then by the time I got into um, junior high and high school, I was already evolving into some taste that I picked up from my brothers, some real bluegrass folk music like Alison Krauss and the Union Station, and then even into like Bob Dylan and Peter, Paul and Mary, some stuff from the 70s. I mean, it was all over the map. Now, I still loved some gospel and Christian music that's always been a thread in my life, but my taste began mm-hmm. just, I realized there was a whole world of music out there I'd never heard. And so I began listening to that and even a little country music, which um, by the time I graduated high schools, which in that era was Tim McGraw and Faith Hill and mm. Garth Brooks and Dixie Chicks and things like that. So anyway, that was kind of evolution that drew me in. And now in my adulthood, it just grows further from there. And I continue to um, just collect music in the sense of listening to it. But one record, if I had to name one definitive record, in my life, it would be Emmylou Harris's Red Dirt Girl. That is a record mm. from about 2000. So I was in high school. I didn't discover it till years later, but the soundscape of that record and Emmylou's voice, which is so emotive and so sad and so plainsy, 
um, the connection of the songs and the production and her voice and the whole thing, it just sends me into a really beautiful space. Um, so if I, if I could only have one record, I think it would be that one. Man, Emmy Lou, mm, what mm. a voice. I mean, and even when she was young, oh. she had that old, old time. Yes, 100%, voice. which I love that old soulness, you know, that even when she was 25 yeah. and 30, she sounded like she does now in her 70s, you know. You know, uh, we when we're recording this, which is about November something, and um, we just lost uh, mm -hmm, Rance mm -hmm. Allen, uh, and I I didn't uh, listen to much. I heard a few things, but I was listening to on YouTube a couple of days ago, and I heard and when I heard his voice, I thought, you know, I believe I believe, and I believe that people. Um, you know, the words are wonderful. You know, I think mm -hmm. of him like um, the love of God, how rich and pure, mm -hmm. how measureless, mm -hmm. but also the voice that that relays mm -hmm. the message. Like with Rance Allen, all those runs and all the the stuff that he can do. Um, right. I mean, oh, that something that you think, too? absolutely. I mean, Rance Allen. Yeah, I saw a uh, an Instagram video of CC Winans that she had posted that she had first texted to her group, you know, family group text. That was her, there was some dance they did as kids, a choreographed dance that all the Winans kids had done, you know, growing up to Rance Allen music. And she was now doing that as a 50 something year old, you know, adult, just celebrating his life and memory and legacy. I, I think about, and I think about how his legacy has impacted people who have been influenced me, but you know, I've always said about the African-American church and worship experience that it made more sense to me because I grew up in a very white church. Uh, the demographic of the town I grew up in was predominantly uh, Caucasian and Hispanic. So I didn't have a lot of natural African-American influence in my growing up years, except through music. And then my parents and I would go to these huge concerts that were black artists and Sometimes if they were gospel artists, it would be in huge African-American churches like Tony Evans Church or whatever in Dallas. And so I, I began to be influenced by that experience. And I just kept thinking, even though, uh, even though it wasn't, even though I love liturgy and I love some of the formality of really beautiful hymns with a pipe organ and a huge congregation singing, there is something I really believe that's missing or not fully connected in my white worship experience with responding to what God has done in the lives of people for all time. And that includes my life. And when it gets personal like that, it just seems to me the African-American worship experience, the way they move, the way they, they literally throw their body in to the worship because mm. I think they're responding to their spirit is moving their body, you know? And, and I just think while there is a time, the Lord is in his temple, be still and be quiet. You know, there is, is in his holy temple. There is a time to be ultimately reverent and silence, but there is also a time to absolutely throw our bodies into the experience of gratefulness and celebration and Thanksgiving. And that's what I experienced through the music of artists like Rance Allen and the wine ends and all that. That when I went to those yeah. worship experiences or concerts, 
I mean, I can't even, I still to this day, I don't know how to move like that. My, again, my body's not fully connected to that gene yet. And I hope it will be in eternity, but, uh, but I can be so moved by the, the energy of music married with worship in that context. Mm. I literally cannot speak. And, um, so to me, there's something, you know, we are in a, a people and I am a person in great, great need, you know, and that need is being met every minute of every day as I surrender to Jesus. And that is something that just causes uh, my very being to engage and be integrated with the world around me, including music. And I just think that the African-American experience and worship experience with music. I think they've got it. I think they got it most right. Oh, yes. Speaking, you were talking about um, quiet times. Um, you yeah. have a new record uh, that came out uh, in mm -hmm. April, I think, uh, mm -hmm. of 2020, I think. Um, and, uh, and I, 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 and I love, I'm a personal fan of this and um, talk about the, um, the story behind it because it was, was it set for, I mean, cause obviously you probably didn't know that it was going to be set um, in this time. Well, no, of course, no, not at all. It actually came out the week after um, here in America that we, you know, shut down for quarantine for at least a couple of weeks and then and began that process. And I had no idea. And it's a record called tune my heart. The subtitle is songs of rest and reflection. And we had recorded it in December. Well, we had pre-produced it in November, December of last year and then recorded it in January. So it could release in March. And uh, we had been thinking when we were producing it, what do we want it themed by? And we wanted it themed by peace, by the theme of peace. And little did we know that we would be coming into a time where a concentrated need for peace, you know, was so important and need to, to, to center our lives around things that are grounded and foundational and unchanging because, again, you know, because we were kind of in this upheaval of everything changing, at least the normal we knew became very, abnormal and so mm. uh you know so when we picked out songs like the the record is is themed by instrumental music but then it has different voices like Wes Hampton and Buddy Green and Cindy Morgan and myself and and Veritas and Sandra McCracken weighing in and very soothing very meditative kind of um recordings on songs like Be Still My Soul and Give Me Jesus and It Is Well With My Soul and so we, every song was thought out. The entire process of the record was thought out. You know this because you've heard it. The music is meant to start at the beginning. It's an old school record. And that when you listen to it, when people stream it, they have been streaming it from top to bottom, not just one song. And so that experience, yeah. we just wanted people to have, for music to once again be a facilitator of one, a conversation with God. I think a lot of people found themselves frozen in fear and still find themselves in that. And so when we're fearful, it's hard to speak out things. It's hard to articulate our requests and petitions to God. And it's definitely hard to be thankful and grateful. But so hopefully this record brings you back into that, right into that Philippians um, 
verse, you know, uh, rejoice in the Lord. Always I would say again, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, right? And of course, then it ends within the peace of God that transcends all understanding, guards your hearts and minds in Christ mm -hmm. Jesus. And we often think of rejoice in the Lord always because it has an exclamation point in there in a lot of translations. So it's like you're thinking of that big jubilant thing. Well, there is something to that, but I see it as a very reflective passage that this record is also reflective of because it says rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. And then the next verse, which we often don't quote, is let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And so the Lord is near to me, says literally, he is near at all times. So when we rejoice, we connect with, with the awareness of his nearness. And then let your gentleness be evident to all. In my response to other people who are confused about what's going on around them, in my response to people who are upset by something like an election or something like a virus or something like a changed lifestyle because of everything that's gone on in the world, let my gentleness be evident, you know? And so my first response to be one of peace and to embody peace. And, it, you know, I can't control all the wars in the world. I can't control a virus. I can't control people's responses to a virus. I can't control regulations. I can't control elections. I can't, I have such <laughs> so little control. But what I can strive to do is to embody peace within myself, which I believe comes from God, and then then be able to project peace to others so that they can be encouraged to embody peace. And that that's what I can do. And I, I think that's what the presence of God in our life, when it is alive and allowed to work and move and, and uh, act on our behalf, it acts in peace. Mm. Yes. What is what's one of your favorite? Oh, you know, I mean, I love this song called Cade's Cove, which uh, a, a, one of the co-producers mm -hmm. had written. It's an instrumental about where he got engaged, but it's a real it's an outdoors, this beautiful hike and scenic area. So it conjures up that East Tennessee kind of Appalachian, especially in the fall and in the springs when everything's blooming or turning colors. Um, but I really, really love. Give Me Jesus, which uh, was sung by Cindy Morgan and Sandra McCracken. And Sandra may be a name fairly unknown to some of your audience, but she's very well known in uh, a lot of um, worship environments that are, are um, associated with the Reformed Church and with the Presbyterian Church and all that. So uh, she's got a wonderful kind of pastoral voice. But Cindy and Sandra saying that old, you know, it's an old African-American spiritual, in the morning when I rise. But then Cindy wrote a yes. couple of new verses um, that I felt like were more particular to the season we're in, though she wrote them right before we hit this season. So I, if I could listen to one on repeat, it would be that, which honestly, I didn't even play a lick, a note on it. And uh, even though it's, a, you know, it's an Andrew Greer and Friends record, so there's room for everybody. But that's the only track that I, I didn't, they wanted me to sing a third part harmony on it. And I just... You know, I was in, I was producing it, but I was like, it just doesn't need it. And so that's the one I would go to if I had to. I love that song, especially, and this probably might get a little morbid, but yeah. you've been with Mark and, and he was on that one place where he was with Amy Grant and he said, oh. shouldn't we get people, you know, <laughs> help them along? But yes, but yes. Anyway, you might want to put um, some context around that. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh-huh. I digress. Um, oh, but oh, yeah, they're talking about death, uh-huh. and but and sort of goes in, but but I love that last line. The last verse is when uh, mm-hmm. when I come to die. When I come to mm. die, give me Jesus. And I thought, you know, that is so good because, and and the whole thing just sort of goes to that place, you know, in the morning, in the evening, we need Jesus. But when I'm dying, and I, and sometimes I think as people, we're, we're fearful of death. But to know when we have Jesus, we don't have to be fearful because we have a great savior and a great source that when we leave this earth, we will be with well, the almighty father. Yeah. I mean, to, to go along with that, you know, one of the things I remember talking to one of my friends about who during this, when everything was first shutting down was really strapped by fear. And I remember saying to him, you know, can you, can you actually name what it is you're fearful of? Because if you can, then you can begin to address that in your daily life. Are you afraid from this virus? Are you afraid from dying? Are you afraid of getting sick? Are you afraid of being unemployed? Are you afraid of, you know, some kind of economic uh, fallout? Uh, What is your fear? And if you can name that fear, you can begin to address it, which I think is a healthy thing. And I think health points to how God created us. I think why health is a spiritual thing and not something we can ignore is because when we are, um, we are living in our best health, I believe we are living more as we were created and designed to be. And so, and how we will live eternally when we kind of um, finally shuck off this skin and this, this um, propensity to, to do what we don't want to do, you know, to sin. And so I, I think death is something in this season that some people who maybe don't have a lot of spiritual um I don't want to say backbone, but maybe that that's just not been something they've really explored as their spirituality. It's caused them if they've been still enough and quiet enough to think through. You then have if you can face death, right? If you can come to terms with death, however you do that. Now, you and I have a similar way of doing that, and that's through a belief in Jesus and that we will commune with God forever. Um, but however you do that, if you yeah. can do that, then you can, you can begin to live. And I really mean that fear has such an, mm-hmm. and it's what you're saying that give me Jesus. When I, uh, when in the morning, when I rise, when I am alone, when I come to die every moment, like wh- how I will live once I'm dead, once this body is gone and expired and disintegrating. And as my spirit lives on in whatever format that takes on, um, when I begin to commune with God forever, as I was created to do, I want to already be, I want that to be as I am living now, right? Which give me Jesus, you know, my, the mm-hmm. same song, yeah. okay? The same song that I sing now, I hope is already indicative of the song I will sing forever, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, um, what is the future? Speaking of, what is the future of dinner conversations? Uh, you're on the for, in. You're coming into the fourth season. Um, what's the uh, well? <laughs> you know, a uh, season four of dinner conversations is definitely, uh, of course, on the docket, and and we hope to maybe do one more season after this too. So we've got a ways to go with that. I love that. Got some cool guests, including CC Winans, of course, who we've already talked about. And is one of my favorite people. 
Um, my podcast with Patsy Claremont, who's a women of faith speaker and founder and wonderful author for years and years. We have a podcast called Bridges. The tagline is spiritual conversation or spiritual connections through generational conversations. And what that means is Patsy's in her seventies. I'm in my thirties and we have a really close friendship. And through that connection, we wanted to open up conversations that were multi-generational. Now it's just an audio podcast. So you find that on your phone, on Apple podcasts, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Pandora, wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course that's free to listen to, which is how Mark and I first started out, you know, was, was thinking we were going to do a podcast and we filmed it. So we ended up doing a TV show. But this is a true audio podcast, and we're still in the middle of our season one, which is dozens of episodes because it's audio only. So those two things are my present and my future. But honestly, I'm in the middle of a, I do a lot of stuff with film. I'm in the middle of a documentary around Nick Carter and around yes. Plains, Georgia, where he's from and lives. And um, anyway, there's a lot of conversations about race and religion in that, but it's it's a it's a very plainsy folksy film that won't be out for a while. And then um, tune my heart uh, too. Uh, we're not going to call it tune my heart too, but the follow-up to tune my heart, the record we've been talking about will be out this summer and uh, it will hopefully continue the, the path of promoting peace through music. So those are some mm. things that are on the immediate horizon and you know, just like yourself, the future uh, has many plans, but we'll see what actually transpires. <laughs> yes. Um, what is one thing that you've learned, or I say one thing, what's some things that you've learned during this? Uh, just learning to uh, maybe um, have a rhythm, you know, promote a rhythm um, of peace and quiet when at all possible, even as our days have gotten busier, as we've understood how to get out of the house and interact with the world around us in a safe way, you know, um, still maintaining whether that's a walk or a jog each day outdoors. I love being outdoors and truth be told before we quarantined, I'd gotten away from really having that be a part of my weekly and then daily life. And it's extremely important for me and for my headspace and for my sanity and for my emotional and mental and spiritual health and, and physical health. So uh, some things I've learned, I've learned how to cook at home more, which I really like. And I think I'm a healthier eater. I grew up a healthy eater and it's hard when you're single and on the road all the time, it gets a little tricky, but being at home more has given me that, but I, I don't know, you know, honestly, uh, what I thought before quarantine is what I think now. And that is that I'm not in control, but I am, um, mm. I am cared for. I'm loved. And, um, and I have no worries. I know there are practical day-to-day -day worries for each of us at different times in our life based on many different variables and circumstances. But I always try to lay down and zoom out, zoom out to the bigger picture. I am not worried. I have no fear. Even though anxiety is great within me, I have no fear. And even to some degree, curbing that anxiety through, um, again, like I said, gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Praise, present your requests to God, but with thanksgiving. And so in all things, I hope to always at the end of the day, say thank you. And always when I get up, say good morning, God. You know, like here we are again, don't leave me. And um, I really believe he's not leaving me or anyone. So so it's it's been the same. It is the same. And I hope it continues to be the same for me. And that is one of ultimately 
um, surrendering. And thank you so much for your time today. Uh, uh, and uh, blessings to you. And um, and uh, I can't wait to see dinner conversations and all the well, other my things pleasure that completely. are going on. Okay, right. and uh, <laughs> uh, we'll talk to you later, or maybe not. Thank you. Okay.